0: Uh, Christian, we are so blessed. Even though God's word was completed as far as the scriptures God intended to give us almost 1,900 years ago, it has only been a few hundred years that a Christian can have a Bible in their own language, in their hands. And now because of one thing and another, you can have six. If you've got gigantic hands, you can have six translations in your hand at once, or you can have a phone like 20 translations, we have access to the Word of God like nobody has ever had before. And there's still lots of work to do in getting the Word of God translated into languages so that everyone in the world can have access to the Word of God in their own language. There's still lots of work to do. But at the same time, there has never been more access to God's written Word than there is right now. And it's a great time to be alive. And I'm just saying that because let's not... um, be ungrateful for this honor. And let's also not miss what God wants from us. That He, we are ready to be the people most uh, biblically knowledgeable than ever before. Because it's right in your hand, wherever you go. It's right on your phone, wherever you go. Which is wonderful, and it's also uh, a holy obligation. Amen? So, what I've been doing, we're going to be, we are in Romans chapter 8, verses verses 31 through 39, the best of the best of the best of Scripture, arguably. So, if you have a favorite passage, um, we don't need to come to blows about it. You can just, it's all God's Word, it's all God's Word, it's all God's Word. But for this season of life, we're going to be focusing on a section of scripture that just glorifies in what god has done for us in christ jesus and what i've been calling the church to two things in scripture i've been calling us to fight for a lifestyle where we're in the bible every single day because as much as um, most of us have a bible within 10 steps of wherever we are even now there's like free bibles you can grab within well maybe 20 steps if you shuffle but 10 steps if you're if you get a good some momentum and get some bounds going on there. Um, the reality is is that most of us find it very difficult to regularly be enjoying God's Word because of the busyness of life and because our souls are filled with other joys. And so I'm calling us as a church to really fight for a lifestyle of being in God's Word so that you enjoy it or so that you've you've actually eaten something. You don't always need to enjoy your oatmeal, but it's good for you. But to fight for it every day in God's Word, at least a little bit. And if you want any help with that, I'm sure you can get it. But that's another thing. There's never been more help in your hand. You just Google, how do I read God's Word every day, or give me a reading plan, or what strategies to be in God's Word every day, and there are hundreds of pastors who have put stuff out there that never gets read that will help people do such a thing. And so, um, there's there's lots of excuses. There aren't a lot of great excuses. And, and I'm also calling us as a church to memorize this portion of Scripture together during this season, at this time, meaning you, yes, you. Yes, you, yes, you. To memorize Romans 8:31 through 39 so that you can carry it around with you in the Swiss Army knife of your brain wherever you go and just savor it and love it. And if you need any help, you can do that too. But what we're going to do is read this all together. You don't have to stand today, but I'm just going to read it from my Bible in front of me, and the words are also going to be on the page, and you can read it from the Scriptures in your lap or in your hand as well. All right. Can we get the next slide just to get us started? Wonderful. Three, two, one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised... As sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for these true words. Father, I, I am convinced again that your Bible is none like nothing like anything else in, in the world. It's not God, but it is the Word of God. And Father, there isn't anywhere else in the world you can find a message like this a God so holy who gives free grace and saves his enemies and sinners at unspeakable personal cost. Father, thank you for telling us the truth about what you've done. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for revealing it. And thank you by the Holy Spirit that you have convicted and convinced each person here who believes in Christ that this is worth believing and it's all true. So God, I pray that you would really give me the Holy Spirit, even now, a fresh a fresh supply of the grace of God to serve your word, to serve your people. And Lord, I pray that even if I, this is my worst message ever, that the grace of God would take over and apply it into the depths of our souls so that we are gripped and transformed and made to be more like Jesus and given what we need to serve you and accomplish your purposes for our life together and for each one of our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Today we're going to talk about condemnation. Aren't you excited yet? We're going to talk about condemnation, and I want to help us to see the world well. I want to help us to see that the world actually runs by condemnation. And, and I mean the world in the West, the the English-speaking world. I can't speak for everywhere. There's a a lot of places I haven't been, but the world nowadays really runs off of condemnation. It's the most powerful force around us. So a few examples, just from the last couple of weeks. So there was this guy who was invited to host the Oscar, a comedian who was invited to host the Oscars. You know that all-important event where the important people... Dress up importantly and get together to tell each other how important they are and invite everybody to watch them so that they too can be convinced how important all those people are. It's wonderful. We love it. And, uh, this guy was supposed, to, was invited to host it and then a bunch of people started rooting around in his Twitter feed and found some stuff they didn't like that he said 10 years ago and demanded that he apologize to which he responded, I I did, and a long time ago, and I've already explained this, and I don't think what I said here is true anymore. And what's going on? Do Do we have to just be looking for reasons to condemn each other? And because he said that, he got fired from it. And so, there you go. Welcome to the world. If you can be condemned, someone will find a way to do it to control you and ruin your life. A little bit more closer to home, probably the... North America's most famous Christian singer, maybe, maybe, maybe not, maybe, um, recently got themselves in a bit of a tangle. They were in an interview and asked about one of the divisive questions of the day, what do you think about homosexuality? And she responded, just okay, and kind of unleashed a bunch of online condemnation about herself, again, which is... And I'm I'm super sympathetic about it because it's just one of these gotcha things. We live in a world where we love to condemn each other quickly and shallowly and completely. And you're in one of these situations where there is no answer, where you won't have a couple million people ready to burn your house down. And, um, And so this is going to be the next few weeks of her life. Just online condemnation. Because she didn't respond like a fully trained PhD in apologetics who handles tricky questions for a living. Because she's a singer. A little bit more interestingly, the CEO of Apple recently at an event was talking about um, people using social media platforms to promote hate, which is one of those words that pretty much just means whatever we're condemning today is hate. And interestingly, you can hate people that you're condemning online as much as you want, and as long as you say that they're the ones who hate, you can hate them as much as you want, and that's okay. But just revealing that it was important to him that he began to use the resources of one of the world's largest tech companies to start to suppress certain speech in the world which is really interesting because social media platforms are supposed to be non-judgmental that's how they get away with having people say criminal things on their platforms without them being responsible for it they just say well we don't we don't filter people people just say their stuff and so you can't blame us for it but now they're starting to try to switch over to actually policing things with a moral view And unfortunately a lot of the stuff that God has to say about the world nowadays is considered hate speech by a lot of the people who are in the seats of power in these places. And so it's just going to be really interesting as people become more and more feel more and more empowered to promote condemnation. One way or the other. And these are these are just examples from the last few weeks. But you and I all know that condemnation is a huge thing. It's how the world works. And and it it just If you're not enjoying doing the condemnation, you're often in the grip of trying to avoid the condemnation. That's how we live. What kind of condemnation do you fear? What kind of condemnation do you do? That sense of knowing or feeling like there's just something wrong. And not just like a math question wrong. One plus one equals three. That's pretty forgivable, but there's something morally wrong, spiritually wrong, justicely wrong with you or somebody else and that desire to destroy it or that desire to hide it. Condemnation, it's a big thing. It's how the the world runs. Before we come to talk about God a bit more specifically, I want to just invite us to think about different kinds of condemnation that are in operation in the world. Um, there's entertainment condemnation. Right? You can make lots of TV shows out of this stuff, especially reality TV shows. So somebody gets up and they they think they're a singer and their mom never told them the truth. And... Um, They get up there and it's all, let it go, let it go. Don't hold it back. (laughs) 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 Yeah, well, hey, there's more where that came from. (laughs) And the the entertainment comes, because there's usually like a row of judges sitting in front of them. And then somebody comes and they're like, That was the most terrible <laughs> imitation of a dolphin being fed backwards into a woodchepper that I've ever been nauseated by. And we're just like, Dang, that was awesome, that burn was so good. And we just, and the hook comes out and drags them off the stage. And, and as much as we sometimes enjoy the people doing well, we, we pay for the entertainment of the condemnation right? That's half the audience right there. I thought that joke was funny, a dolphin into the wood backwards. It would bog down. Around the spine. Anyhow. There you go. No, no, I'm done. We're going to use the next service where I don't do this joke for online too. So, um, There's manipulative condemnation which is condemnation not so much about right and wrong, but it's more about getting what I want, which is a lot of what we're exposed to nowadays. But let's just have a story about manipulative condemnation from the Bible. So you might remember back in the book of Genesis, God has given Abraham this promise that he's going to make a nation out of him, right? The problem being that Abraham's wife is barren, so she can't even have one kid, let alone have a nation of kids. And so Sarah really struggling with this. And so she says to Abraham one day, this is chapter 16 of Genesis, it says, Now Sarai, before she got her name changed, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram, had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the servant. So the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she was conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. You can do as you please. And so Sarai mistreats Hagar, and she flees for a while. And as I read this story, which is a very human story, I can just see all of the manipulative condemnation going on in there. So here's Abram, here's Sarai. Abram's got this promise he's supposed to have children. Sarai can't fulfill the promise. And so the first condemnation is she says, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So there's a little bit of condemnation. Abram, we've got a problem. God is not doing his job as God by fulfilling the promise and giving me babies. So why don't you take my servant and you can impregnate her and then I'll have a child by her, which to us sounds very, very, very strange. But if you're living in a time when there's no such thing as adoption and there's no such thing as fostering and there's no such thing as in vitro fertilization, if you want to have a child, somebody has to have it for you. And if you want to have a child with your husband and you can have one, your husband needs to have a child with somebody. So just so we don't totally just condemn them by our 21st century standards, scientifically, this obviously was their only option aside from a miracle. And then Hagar gets pregnant and she starts to condemn her mistress. So she's got a boss, but now all of a sudden she's like, between the two of us, who has Abram's baby inside of them? So you can't tell me what to do so much anymore because I got the baby. So she's now condemning her mistress. And then her mistress Sarai goes to Abram, and who gets condemned here? Abram. May the wrong done to me be on you, Abram. You impregnated this lady that I compelled you to impregnate, and now she's treating me bad probably because I've been treating her bad, and it's all your fault. And may the Lord, who I wasn't praying to before, and condemned for not giving me a baby, judge between me and you. What? This is just a mess. And what's going on here is that there is manipulative condemnation going on. People are getting accused of failures and doing things wrong, not according to a sense of God's justice, but just so people can try to get what they want. Ever done that? Never. That's good to hear, I know. But it happens at other churches, and we need to know when some of those people start coming here and they start doing that thing. We're going to shut it down. I'm shutting you down like a fast food joint with a rat in the rice, you know, just it's all wrong. You never know. And if you read, yeah, whatever. But you can see it happening. Sometimes this does happen. There is defensive, acu- uh, mi- uh, sorry, dis- defensive condemnation. Okay, so Abram in this situation he doesn't get defensive. He just says, okay, "Well, you you can sort this out." Is kind of his response. But there is such a thing as defensive manipulation, or sorry, defensive condemnation, when Abram, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit in the garden and they go hide in the bushes and God shows up and God asks Eve what she did and Eve said, the serpent, it's serpent. He deceived me. He made me do it. And when he asked Adam what happened there, the woman that you gave to me, she made me eat the fruit. Don't blame me. They're the bad guy here. I might get condemned, but the truth is we need to condemn them. Right? I may have shot that person, but you gave me the gun. I condemn you. And I'm not trying to get into gun control here, but there is something to it. That is defensive condemnation. I'm in trouble, I've done something wrong, but if I can steer the angry mob away from myself and towards somebody else, I'll do it. And it almost always sounds like you, so you'll know when you're doing it. You did this. Did that happen at anybody's house this week? Sometimes there is also such a thing as just condemnation, where people are doing things that really are condemned by God's word or just by common natural law. And they're caught and they're tried and they're convicted. And that's a good thing. That's actually God's gift to us for the restraint of evil in the world. And if you are a teacher that deals with children or you're a parent or grandparent that deals with children, you know that there is such a thing as the needing of just condemnation because people do stuff that isn't right. But we need to handle it well, and that's a topic for another day. So why are we talking so much about condemnation? Human beings tend to, to live in a world of condemnation where we're either doing the condemning, and sometimes, but very rarely, for the right reasons, or we're afraid of being condemned, or we're being manipulated by condemnation. This is kind of just the world we live in. And what the scripture that we read this morning, and that we can read again, teaches us, is that the God of heaven and earth... Is the God of all condemnation, not us. He is the Lord over condemnation and he gets to do with it whatever he wills. The Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is the God of condemning, of seeing thoughts and feelings and behavior and deciding if they are right or wrong, righteous or unrighteous, just or unjust this is God's job and his role and he does do it. What then? Let's let's get into scripture. Everyone's feeling guilty and uncomfortable right now and condemned. You're welcome. Let's get into scripture. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then Paul, who is writing this letter, brings this understanding that God is for us and that he will graciously give us all things. He takes it to the next level and he asks the question, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? And this is where I want to spend the rest of my time here. Because if you're going to be a Christian in Canada, you are going to need to be gripped with the reality that your God does not condemn you. And because you are justified in Christ, nobody else can either. This is the big idea. If you are in Jesus... God does not condemn you, but instead justifies you and declares you righteous in His sight, and because He has done so, nobody can condemn you either. This is the point of this verse. If you're righteous in Christ, the world in all of its condemning ways can go straight to hell because that's where the condemnation came from in the first place. Thank you, I'll say it one more time then. See, this guy, he's got some influence in it. If you are in Jesus Christ, and the Lord has declared you righteous, all worldly, unbelieving condemnation can go straight to hell, because that's where it came from in the first place. Amen? And if we are going to be faithful to Jesus in this time and place, we need to really believe this. If you are going to be faithful to the Lord who bought you with his own blood, this is one of the scriptures that needs to be deep, deep, deep down, deep down in our hearts. Amen? Okay, so why is this so important? God is the God of all condemnation, and when He condemns, He does it rightly and thoroughly, and He is in control of it. And this comes from the book of Romans, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna read two scriptures and prove the point. Number one, we live in a world that is already suffering under God's judgment. Earlier in Romans chapter 8, just a few verses earlier, Paul, we're talking about sufferings. We talked about sufferings that if we want to be glorified with Christ, we are going to need to suffer with Him. We don't look at our sufferings and say, God has abandoned me. We look at our sufferings and say, these sufferings are the sufferings of Christ that I endure because God is for me and has adopted me and I am His Son and this is part of my glory. But talking about these sufferings, he says this, for I do not consider the sufferings of the present time, sorry, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God this is the time when Jesus returns and he raises the dead and he reveals his people to be completely righteous and shining in robes of whiteness just like him the creation itself everything we can see with a microscope and a telescope or with our eyes is longing for the revealing of the sons of God which is you if you're in Jesus For the creation was subjected to futility, says the word of God, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will see, be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is Paul saying here? He's saying even on the natural level, even on the earthly level, God's creation is groaning in sufferings. Because when humanity fell, it all fell with us. And it is looking forward to the day when the judgment that happened even on the earth itself will be taken back. And so when we look at the world, we're supposed to look at the world with all of the wars and the sufferings and the cancers and the mental illnesses and the physical illnesses and the relational illnesses and the impossibility that we'll ever be able to fix it. There aren't enough trillions of dollars in the world for us to fix this because God himself has condemned all of creation because of human sin. Okay, Can we as Christians just, just believe that? There aren't enough trillions of dollars in the world to to fix the futility that God has condemned the world to because of human sin and rebellion. It's Christ or nothing. It's Christ or it won't work. It's Christ or it's cursed. That's the reality because God condemned human sin and all of creation fell with it and we can't fix it. So why am I reading this? I'm trying to tell you that God is the Lord of condemnation and He condemned the whole creation with fallen man to futility, to pain, to suffering, to anguish, to loss, to failure. It's it's all broken. It's all broken because of what God did. He condemned the entire planet and the entire universe to brokenness. And Paul is saying right now, the entire creation is saying, Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. I don't like being like this. I don't like the futility. I don't like the falling apart. We don't like the pain. We don't like the anguish. We don't like the tsunamis. We don't like the earthquakes. We don't like all this stuff that we are justly condemned to because of human rebellion. So come back and fix it. And reveal the sons of God and bring us into glory and put an end to your just judgment and save us and make the new heavens and the new earth where none of this suffering exists anymore. Which is exactly what Jesus will do when he returns. But Christian, your father knows how to condemn something. When he condemned it, everything fell. Why is the world still broken? Because God is upholding the curse from Genesis chapter 3. So when we're thinking about condemnation, when we're dealing with condemnation, we should shudder a little bit and come to the throne room and say, I am out of my league here. I don't, I don't. I." Me thinking I can ruin someone's life with some nasty text messages sent behind their back is nothing. And a little bit earlier in the book too, talking about fallenness, See, this is just like the physical creation, but the, the thing that really bugs us is, is how the people act. Like if you live in Manitoba, you can avoid most natural disasters. We all know every time we get out of the, co- the house in the morning, you could die between December 1st and sometime in mid-July because it's so cold. Make that June. Sometimes March. Sometimes April. Maybe May. So this is our natural disaster. We call it weather. We call it winter. But in most places, it's pretty bad. But the worst part of being alive is the people. I'm sorry. The worst, the, the most fearful, the most painful, the most dangerous thing on the planet is the people. Okay, And the reason we're so messed up is because of the condemnation of God. This is Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, speaking of creation, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but instead became futile in their minds, and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory... Of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonouring their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to a dishonorable passion for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion. For for one another, men committing shameless acts with men receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers and haters of God and insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. What is going on here? As mere humans, we can see people misbehaving and think God's going to get them for that. We can see people slandering online and think, God doesn't like that. We can see people acting out lives of sexual impurity and think, God's really displeased by that. We can see people betraying each other, though they've made covenants, and think, God is just not blessed by that. We can see all kinds of stuff and think, what they're doing, God is not pleased with, and He's going to be upset. And what we often fail to understand is the reason we do that in the first place is because of a condemnation that happened before that. Those sins are the judgment. This this is the thing that we often don't get. If I go and tell a lie to save my bacon about something, it's not like I just started doing something there that was bad. All the way back, something was condemned before that ever happened. And the thing that was condemned was that I didn't want to know and honor and give thanks to God. And God judged that human unwillingness to render Him the honor and glory He's deserved by handing us over in multiple layers to every kind of misdeed. When we do bad things, that is itself a judgment, a condemnation from God. He rejected us rejecting Him and thereby we became capable of doing anything evil. Why are you talking about this, Rob? All I'm trying to point out to you is that the Lord of heaven and earth is God of all condemnation. When he condemns, it is total and complete and inescapable and disastrous, and I haven't even mentioned hell yet. That lake of fire where people will really experience the rejection of God forever. And we need to know this. God knows how to condemn. God knows how to condemn. And when people start condemning, we're just the tiniest, most out of our depth, most out of our league, most we don't even know where to start or how to end. Ah. This God, who sees right down to the depth of every human heart, for whom there is no secrets, whether an act or deed or word or even motivation, He is rescuing the people for Himself and and i'm just trying to i'm just trying to wave my hands he's the lord of condemnation okay he owns it all it all belongs to him and he can do it with completeness and so when he comes and says there is a way to escape all condemnation we should be like Hee-hee-hee. i need that Because I can't escape the condemnation that is here already. Just my foolishness and my dumbness and the evil stuff that comes out of my heart is proof that I'm already under the wrath of God to some extent. And so if there is a way to transform myself from being rejected by you to being accepted by you, declared righteous by you, adopted by you, having you for me and to be with you forever, this is the greatest thing that can happen. Church, it is worthy of your entire life of praise. If every day were Sunday, you should never get tired. Or me either. Amen? Amen. And we forget because we think sometimes that God's just, he's just Santa Claus with Alzheimer's. (laughs) So that there's no list. And the reality is, when he wants to be, it's unstoppable fury. And so when he, when he, when this God who rules over all right and wrong and all good and bad, when he comes and says, though I see all bad, I want to make all good, I want to take whomever wants to come and everybody who will come, and I want to utterly transform your status before me, and I want to change you from the inside out, and I want to make everything different and everything new and everything alive, and I'll choose you and you and you and you and you and everybody who comes, this is the best news ever. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you agree. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. His blood washes away all of our sin and all of our condemnation. He fills us with us he fills us with his spirit so that we will believe and be transformed. This is the best. And he he changes things. Okay, this is this is one of the big things I want to get over today. I'm running out of time, but that's okay. Because we are by nature sinners, and we know it. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. They might say I'm an atheist. I think we're just um, naked monkeys. They they sometimes up here, but they know it. We all know there's something really wrong with us, okay? We all know there's something really wrong with us, so we fear condemnation. Like, where does condemnation even come from in the natural world? Do lions sit around going, your takedown of that gazelle was immoral. You played with it. You toyed with it. It had fear inside. I could see it. You didn't care. You're a bad person, lion. Therefore, me and the other lions, We're going to hold court, condemn you, and eat you. Because you're evil. They never do that. That is just us. And even though we go around condemning each other, sometimes justly, usually just for fun or because we want to feel better ourselves, we all know there's something wrong with us. And so we're afraid, especially of God, even the Christians. Even the Christians are afraid to come to God with nothing, afraid to come to Him with with the truth of how we really are. We're all afraid because we judge ourselves. We look at our own hearts and we use that broken judgment thing we have in our head that isn't completely redeemed yet and we look at our own hearts and we say failure, incomplete, loser, dummy, not faithful, not praying enough, not reading enough, not trying hard enough, not working enough, blew up at your kids, blew up at your spouse, blew up at your job, failure, failure, judge, 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 condemn, condemn, condemn. And then we come to church and we're just like, of course God's going to agree with me. Of course, because He's even holier than I am. And He knows, everything, of course I should fear of course it's not going to be alright but what we've been talking about the last few weeks is that this is the wrongest way ever to think about our judgment anymore if you're in Jesus because the cross is amazing, we were talking about this last week, I'm still not getting over it it is impossible to think that the father would sacrifice his glorious treasure of his son through pain and suffering for sinners unless he was going to go all the way It is impossible. He has given us His Son through death and suffering. And now we must think He is all in for us. If if these things are true, if if Jesus has died for us, we have to declare, this God who is my judge is now 100% for me. Who can be against me now? And then we're supposed to take it to this point where it's like, who will bring any charge against us? This thing we fear, that when we go to Facebook after church, there's going to be photos of what we've done. Photos and a video. And it's going to be all true. And there's going to be a hundred comments a second for the next ten months. Condemnation. Right? 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 Fear that? Or my mom's gonna find out. Or my husband's gonna find out. Or my kids are gonna find out, and I'm afraid. And the Bible's now saying if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, the only person whose opinion matters is for you. You are now righteous in the sight of the only one who has any rights. To do the job of condemning or acquitting you. You're now 100% righteous. As righteous as the shed blood of Jesus. And now God picks a fight with everyone who wants to condemn you. This is the logic of it. It is God who justifies. He's the one who condemns. He's the one who justifies. Who is going to condemn? What kind of idiot would pick a fight with the God of heaven and earth and try to condemn somebody that God has justified? What kind of damned fool would try to tell God he has messed up in his judgments? Only the devil. Because he's a manipulative condemner, he only condemns to get you to do what he wants and to get you to go to hell with him. That's the only reason he ever talks about justice and he wants to destroy you. And so we flee to the one who says, I have forgiven you through Jesus. I proclaim you 100% righteous in Jesus. And I set you high above any condemnation of any child, of any friend, of any neighbor, of any biblically illiterate pastor of anybody. No one can judge you because I have justified you. And I will pick up the fight. I will fight for you. And I will make everybody who wrongly condemns you look like a fool between, before all of heaven and earth and maybe in this life and at least at the final judgment. Amen? This, this is crazy! I'm sorry. This pulpit... Maybe it does need to come with us to a new place, because it's solid. <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy. Now, I know we do things wrong, and we need to repent sometimes, and we sin, and we forget. but we confess as people who cannot be condemned. We own it as people who cannot be condemned, because our dad has said, you're declared righteous, and I'm not going to change my mind. You say, where does it say that in the Bible? Where it says it, right here, when it says, "Who will bring a charge against God's elect, against His chosen?" That's what it means. God's chosen ones. He chose us. He said, "I'm going to pick Robert Balfour. I'm going to declare him right. I'm going to give him the faith he needs to believe in Jesus. And when he believes in Jesus, I'm going to forgive all of his sin. Just declare him righteous. And this is what I'm doing. I'm not going to change my mind." I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to be wishy-washy. I'm not doing the whole he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not with this gigantic 50-year-sized tulip or what is it, a daisy or something like that. He's righteous, he's not righteous, he's righteous, he's not righteous. I wonder how this is going to end up. He's righteous, he's not righteous. Yeah, you should panic. He's righteous, he's not righteous, he's righteous, he's not righteous. Do anybody here smell barbecue? Maybe it's for you, Rob. He's righteous, he's not righteous. He, he chooses, he elects, he cleanses, he justifies, and then he says to the world, what are you going to do about it? Think you're bigger than me? You want to play the condemnation game? I've taken down empires. I eat kingdoms for breakfast. And I've got a lake of fire for everybody who's stupid enough to try to condemn my son. Want to fight? To which believers go, I think I'll just back off. I think I'll stop arguing with you in my head and in my heart. I think I'll just believe you that you actually do consider me righteous. I think I'll stop listening to the devil. I think I'll stop listening to my family members. I think I'll stop listening to CNN. I think I'll stop listening to everybody who doesn't agree with my father because my father is angry about being told he's a liar all the time and he is determined to pick a fight and destroy everybody who thinks that his son is not the son of God and isn't the righteous one and his blood doesn't cleanse them. He is going to destroy them. So I'm just going to relax and believe. Are you starting to get it? Are you just or unjust in God's sight, Christian? Are you righteous in God's sight, Christian? Because of Jesus? The answer is yes. Stop letting yourself get condemned. Stop it. Just stop it. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and say, you're not believing right, you're not doing right, because when we're sinning, we're walking away from God, and He wants us to come home. Nobody sins because of their great faith in Jesus. We sin because we're not believing in Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, stop not believing in Jesus. I want you to come home. And then we feel bad, and we say, well, God doesn't want to see me anymore. No, the Holy Spirit is there convicting us, condemning our unbelief, so that we'll stop unbelieving and be who we really are, which is the uncondemned people of God. Amen? Does that make sense? Am I, am I strumming your pain with my fingers and singing your life with my song? How many days of joy have you lost because you're sitting around condemning yourself in the presence of a God who does not? That's insane. How many times have you not gone for something because you think you can't do it and you're condemning yourself in the presence of a spirit who can cause you to do anything? He can make you speak a language you don't know. We call it tongues and we look over our shoulder a little bit wonky at people when they do it. If He can make you speak a language you don't know, He can do anything through you. Stop condemning yourself. You just pray. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want? Okay, let's start applying this. That was a joke because we've been talking a little bit about that. Number one application for this. Christian, hear the word of God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? The answer is no one. It is God who justifies who is to condemn. The answer is no one. It won't feel like that. The world, the flesh, the devil, your conscience, and Satan will want to try to control you through condemnation. Will you let them do it? Because the answer is nobody has a right to but God. Some guys get tattoos on their back that say things like only God will judge me right before they do a lot of sinning. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who know that God is their father and, and really and hate sin because it hates God but it's time. It's time to be saved. It's time to be a saved person and just, and just fight in the morning. Look, I'm saved. I'm righteous. God's for me. He's going to give me everything. He's going to give me everything. He's going to give me everything I need in this life. And more than what I need, I kind of messed up the sermon last week because I said, God's going to give you everything you need to follow him. But the truth is he will do that. Plus he's also really generous and sometimes just likes to make us happy like a great dad would. And so he's going to give you everything you need in this life as you believe him, plus a lot of stuff just to make you happy because he's generous. So I messed that up and I'm correcting my mistake now. So number one, Christian, be saved, be righteous, be righteous by faith, believe it, fight for it. Don't be condemnable by anything. Yeah, if you make a mistake, if you sin, you can own it and do it with gusto. I think Martin Luther said one time, I'm told a Christian every once in a while should sin just to annoy the devil. I'm not actually recommending, but you understand what he's saying. Sometimes we should sin in front of the devil just to annoy him because he actually isn't winning when it happens. And we will get forgiven, and we can get restored, and he's the one going into the lake of fire, not us. Okay? So be saved. Um, Number two. I I want you to really pray. Pray like somebody when they go into their prayer closet is entering into the throne room of the controller of heaven who has decided before you get there that he wants you to be there and is happy you showed up. Okay, If righteousness doesn't mean God is happy when you show up to pray, it doesn't mean anything. Or you can say that backwards. The first thing that being righteous in God's sight means is that when you come to pray to him, he is happy you're there. Because it's like... A righteous person has just showed up in my throne room to pray. Great! What do you want? We should pray. We should pray. We should pray. Righteous people pray. People who think they're not righteous, don't pray. People who think they, if they go into God's presence, they're going to be condemned, they don't pray. They don't come. What? I mean, aside from Christmas family gatherings, when do you go to places where you know people are talking bad about you behind your back? Ouch. Too much? Too soon? Should I have waited until January? I'm not saying that about all of them. I go to a lot of great family gatherings. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm pressing on a button there. Everybody knows that sometimes you have to go into a room where you know people don't want you to be there. That is not what it's like when you go to pray to the King of Heaven. He is an open ear to those who are righteous by faith in the Son of God. And he is ready to move heaven and earth to change the course of history as his righteous people come to him with joy and say, you are the best God ever. I totally am a sinner without you, but you really have made me righteous in your sight. And let's get down to business. Amen? Pray, 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 saints of God. Pray, righteous people of God. Change the world. He's waiting for you. And finally, let's, let's lay off the culture of condemning that we get into. Let's just pull back the reins a little bit. Amen? Because it's actually really fun to condemn people. You know it, I know it. We know it. There are some people, they just cannot have a good time unless they're talking about other people's failures. True. Us sometimes true. And you know, Jesus said, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, he says, Judge not lest you be judged, because the measures that you judge, you'll be judged yourself. Why should you look at the speck in your brother's eye and still have this beam poking out of yours? Instead, take the beam out and then you can help your brother. Right? When we're enjoying condemning each other, we don't care about if we're helping other people. That's kind of the test. Like, we can talk about people messing up. We can talk about people getting it wrong. We can talk about people sinning. But if you don't really want them to do well, either by coming to Christ and getting righteous, or because they're in Christ and they are are righteous, it's probably just time to be like, why am I doing this? Maybe I should get a Game Boy. Because that's a way to have some fun without condemning anybody. Anybody, Game Boy? Nobody? Somebody? Come on. Child of the 80s. Two-bit graphics, come on. It's either on or off. What? Either black or white. Or that sickly green color, whatever it was. Google it. Okay, we'll get the band to come up. Why don't we stand together? I'm going to read one more time these very words of God Christ is sacrificed for us. By faith alone in him, not by our works of righteousness, but by simple trust, God graciously gives his perfect righteousness to us as a gift. And as we live this life, the Holy Spirit inside of us confirms that this is true. The Holy Spirit inside of us is our hope and power that we will be in life set free from the sins that weigh us down and from the thoughts that bind us. And because of this, we have to ask the question, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is that you this morning? Are you God's elect? And you can feel free to say yes. You believe in Jesus? Who will bring any charge that sticks against you? Answer, you say it. Yeah, that's right. Own your junk, (laughs) repent of your sin, but what condemnation will be able to stand against you? None of it. Because it is your God, your Father, who is the one who ultimately justifies. So who can condemn? Let's praise the Lord.